I'm Menos Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm passionate about helping pharma field professionals to feel confident about using technology to engage with HCPs. And it's the human element of digital transformation, that ability of humans using the technology is what I'm really curious about. And to explore this topic, I've been inviting inspiring leaders in pharma to join me, to learn from them, but also give them a platform so they can share their perspective. I'm delighted to welcome Audrey Krasnitza today. Hi, Audrey, how are you doing? Hello, happy to be joining you. So um, before we dive in and ask you a question, I just wanted to uh, tell our audience a little bit about you, Audrey. Um, we, Audrey and I met last year, so I just come to tell you a little bit about that as well. But just to give you a background, Audrey is a global MC director, multi-channel engagement in commercial excellence, and she works with Nova Nordics in rare diseases. For the purpose of this um, interview, Audrey is representing her own views, not her own company, so I thought better get that in. Um, what I find really fascinating about Audrey is her background. Um, she's a marketeer. But she's also a storyteller, she's a strategist, and she's very enthusiastic about CX. Um, Audrey has over 10 years of pharma industry experience in strategic consulting, uh, marketing agency, as well as pharma, but I'll, I, I'll let her tell you all about it herself later on. Uh, she says she's a self-confessed nerd about data-directed storytelling. I wanna explore that a little bit more. And uh, what I find so infectious about Audrey is her passion. She's passionate about speed, agility, whilst keep keeping her feet on the ground and being pragmatic about it. Um, as I said, she's uber enthusiastic. She's very authentic and endlessly curious to find um, creative solutions um, to address uh, burning problems. Uh, there's other aspects to Audrey. She's a mom. She's got two uh, boys. They're um, pretty young. I think they're three and four and a half, if I'm not mistaken. And in her spare time, she does hiking and loves running. Um, so how we met, it was last year. I was attending Reuters event at Nice. And Audrey and I were both staying uh, in the same hotel. And in the morning, as we were walking towards the conference center, we naturally started walking together and, you know, I'm, I'm a chatter. I think, Audrey, you're the same as well. We started talking and I heard the American accent and immediately my ears perked up. And I was so delighted to find that Audrey is originally from Ohio. She lived up the road in, uh, and worked in New York City before moving to Switzerland, where she lives and works now. So uh, it's, it's so exciting um, to have you here because recently we shared the uh, panel discussion with Paul Sims. Was it April or was it? Marsh, yeah. And I've seen you speak at um, Reuters and you're pretty awesome. So I'm really excited that you're here to share your perspective. Well, I am very grateful for the invitation. So I've, I've really enjoyed our chats as well. Um, I, I find that learning and growing is best done in uh, clubs. I'm, I'm, I'm calling them clubs. But basically surrounding yourself with people. You don't have to have the answers, but you do have to have the questions and just asking and exploring those things together. Uh, so I've appreciated our conversations, most certainly, and I'm delighted to be with you today. Thank you. You um, are absolutely right. Writing the right questions would lead us to the answer faster. So even if you don't have the answers, asking them 
would eventually get us there. So coming to you, Audrey, my first question is, um, I really want you to tell us about your background because your background is so different to people I normally interview. And um, just share with us, how did you end up being in um, pharma? Uh, what was so, your I feel like we could actually take the entire 30 minutes on this question because I love to talk. But I will make it as succinct and streamlined as possible without losing any fun details. Um, I do have a very different background. Um, at one phase in my journey to get where I am now, I would just say I'm a very odd bird for this world. Like at, at that time, I was in the consulting space. I was like, I'm an odd bird for a consultant. Um, I started, I mean, where do we want to start? Let's start with my undergrad career. I thought I would go pre-med. Um, and then I navigated, like, things happen. So I navigated from pre-med into a classics focus, which is basically archaeology, Latin, Greek, ancient history, which had always been an interest and a passion of mine. Um, yeah, you don't really make a career out of that unless you want to go into academia. Mm -hmm. And I thought I did until I found out that to get a PhD in classics, I would have to be fluent in French, Greek, Italian, German, and Latin. Like I was, there was just too many languages for me to capture. I was like, I'm not going to be fluent in all of these things in the time that it's going to take for me to also get my PhD. So found a different path. I went to Ghana for a year and I was a teacher uh, at a children's home for about a year. Mm -hmm which was a remarkable experience. I just, I think everyone should have a chapter of service. It is incredibly um, transformative. Um, however, I did not find myself during that period of time. I thought I would, I didn't. Um, so I came back and did what every like returning college grad from a service period comes and does. I lived with my parents, was in LA for a little bit. Um, and finally migrated over to New York, where I started my first real job in uh, publications management, publications planning for pharma. Uh, and that was my first flavor of the, just the mapping of how we look at the use of data, the use of clinical studies, and the role of medical, the role of commercial strategy, and how these things really begin to piece together. Um, from that publications planning role in the agency space, I moved more into digital marketing, um, more into healthcare provider education, speaker bureau management. All of this was in the U.S. So mm -hmm. I basically wore a whole bunch of hats for about eight years in New York, always in the agency space, always in pharma, um, exploring, always healthcare provider. So I haven't explored the patient space um, at that phase. And uh, during that period of time, I went to go get my master's in strategic management, strategic uh, communications, basically marketing. From there, I leap to Switzerland, where I start in Zurich. And my first job in Zurich was with a consulting company where they asked me, as I'm interviewing and we're exploring, you know, where, where do I see myself? Where do they see me? And I tell them, well, I'm really excited to be leaving the uh, agency and pharma space. And I really want to do more like trendy digital marketing things. Like I want to explore that space. And they tell me I'm with a partner. It's my seventh interview. And he basically says, well, that's 
interesting that you mentioned you would like to leave the life sciences space because that's exactly the space we are interviewing for. And that's where we see your role. Mm -hmm. So now what do you think? I'm like, <laughs> okay, backpedal, back, because I really want this job. Like it's an international company, big four consulting, like I, I'm ready to go. Anyway, so I tell him, well, it's not life sciences. It's not pharma that I have a problem with. It is the aversion to um, trying something new and the hesitation around that. Uh, and I was ready to push the envelope more. And that doesn't mean like a compliance envelope. It just means like, let's embrace the tools that are available to us and use those in our engagement with customers, with healthcare providers. Um, and so I tell the partner, if you also are interested in exploring that direction, then I'm on board. Well, mm -hmm. I end up starting with them. Uh, I worked there for four years, did a lot of different roles from the traditional brand management. I was seconded with another pharma company for about a year, give or take a bit. Um, as the European brand manager, I worked in a lot of commercial excellence roles, wore a bunch of different hats. The beauty of those two different chapters and also all the kind of like patchworky projects that I had had um, while in my consulting phase is that when I came to join Novo Nordisk, um, all of a sudden these different, like, again, patchworks, it turned into a quilt. And I could see where I under, like, all of those experiences led to me giving a really broad understanding, but also knowing where I needed to act, where I needed to listen, and what I could push or, or hold back on. And that's been the last year and a half now for me at Novo. Uh, in a, a, I basically lead the multi-channel activity for rare disease. Um, and it's not just strategy. It's the platforms. It's the data and analytics. And that I've had, because of the different places mm -hmm. like that, it all comes together into this, th this current phase of my professional life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I love that because I'll wear another hat. I actually volunteer with PM Society in the UK and I'm involved in their um, interest group. We're looking at learning and development. And one of the things we're looking at is how do we help, you know, marketeers get on their career ladder and, you know, get to the aspiration they want. And it's so interesting to hear your stories because it's not just going through the marketing role and, you know, get become a senior and move to the global role. There's other ways to skin the cat. And I think your experience shows in 10 years by working in agencies or working on the communication side, you got like fast exposure to different countries, different brands, different therapy areas, and you worked on different elements. And that kind of like catapulted you to be able to hold the global yeah. uh, marketing leadership position and I'm super proud of you I mean you're brilliant and smart to do that but it just shows that you don't need to go through the traditional route of yeah. getting there and diversity is valued I completely agree with that and I think it was Sheryl Sandberg so her book Lean In and she has this moment where she's talking about you know traditionally we climb the ladder but in her experience it was rope swings and it's like you just sometimes you're just taking whatever rope comes next but it's not a direct, it's not a direct climb. It's just swinging from one experience to the next and using the momentum of that swing to influence how you grow into the next spot. Mm -hmm. And I've, I, I've, although I will tell you that when you're in that swing, you don't always know where you're going. You're kind of like, wait a second. I, I, I'm here. I'm learning. I'm absorbing. 
I don't like I could go many different directions from here. Like what yeah. what's the next one for me? So but no, I can totally relate to that because um, I had a really um, a good position in pharma working in sales in London. And I suddenly decided I was going to move to Scotland and raise my family there. And I remember the senior leaders were saying to me, you're mad. Why are you doing that? This is back in like 1998 yeah. and 90, maybe 97, actually. And they said, well, all the jobs are here. If you stay here, we give you a management job. I said, yeah, thank you very much. But I want to live there. So I made the personal choice. And I remember I took time out. I wasn't working for a while. And I was kind of like thinking, did I make the right decision? You know, have I ruined my career? And then I bounced back. When I was ready, I went back to work and I got like a promotion. And then again, when I was moving continent, when I moved from UK to America, I decided to set up my own uh, company. And, you know, people were saying, you're mad. You're moving to America right now in, you know, current climate. You know, you're leaving a, you know, senior position where you established in a country, you know, what's going on. And I said, yeah, but you kind of like sometimes need to grab the rope and go with it and figure it out along the way. So I can totally relate with that, what you say there. Um, and, you know, you make it work. Totally. You just have to be yourself and make it work. So anyway, let's get back to the topic because uh, we, you and I can talk about that. For <laughs> so let's come back and talk about the, you know, omnichannel. Um, how do you think the commercial and sales um, team can um, kind of respect the role of face-to-face -face, uh, relationship while also embracing the power of omnichannel. How can we get the balance of that? And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so basically the, the partnership between sales and commercial and mm -hmm. um, how within that partnership we can empower and strengthen customer engagement and omni-channel, so, so the face-to-face the -face and digital activation, let's say. Um, I would love it if the front line becomes, I mean, they really are the guardian of, or the guardian, the custodian is a better mm -hmm. word. Let's, I did not say guardian, the custodian mm -hmm. of that customer. They know them, they see them. And that's when we have the real close relationships. There's, mm -hmm. there's a funnel, before we even get to the role of the rep, there's a funnel there's the like identification, then there's the conversion, then there's the nurturing of our customers. When we get to the nurture, that's when our face-to-face -face becomes that custodian. Mm -hmm. um, they should be in really strong partnership with the commercial team or with the marketing team to understand and to feedback what kind of content, what kind of messages, what kinds of topics are going to have the most relevance to their their customer. And that's at that like bottom of that funnel, if we will, with the nurture part. In the identification and in the conversion piece, um, this is where data becomes super powerful. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a, a broad list of messages, we have a broad list of channels, and this is where the digital channels become our most powerful introduction to our customers. It's understanding the customer appetite, it's understanding their interest. It's also understanding timing. When are they looking for information and are they finding the right information um, to push them further into the, um, to, to basically de deliver the value that they're looking mm -hmm. for. Did they find what they want? <laughs> um, and I, I so I, I see that really as a strong partnership. At the end of the day, it's gonna start with the commercial team setting up a whole lot of like the key messages, the strategy, 
um, identifying channels, but then partnering with that frontline team to uh, best understand what's going to have uh, the most impact to nurture their customers. You know, Audrey, what you say really resonates with me again, because I'm working in the uh, sales space and our relationship with a client marketing team is just so close. I mean, I was on the phone this morning to, talking to an HCP and they asked for something and I immediately felt this is something my team and I are going to encounter on a regular basis. So I wrote to our uh, client company saying, I need a template uh, similar to a template we have for another brand for this brand because this scenario happened and HCP is asking me for um, you know, email, they've given me e-permissions and I think this would be a really good way and, you know, to get the conversation and book an appointment. And I find when you are working in the field, if you're using digital content or using assets, you get the reaction of HCP immediately. So you know whether they like it, you know if it's not really supporting the story. What happens yeah. is if field team find is not supporting the story or it's not resonating, they stop using it. But what we find is we actually give feedback to marketing saying this is not resonating or often what we'll find is the best pieces of uh, marketing content that we have is actually suggested by HCPs. Like I'll give you an example. I was going through a presentation and an HCP said, I love that slide. Can you send that to me? I said, I can't send it to you because it was part of the detail aid. But I said, I will look into it. So I'll ask our client and they turn that into a approved PDF. Perfect. And we've used it hundreds of times since that meeting. So a lot of the content was suggested by HCP because it resident, re resonated with them. Yeah. But the problem is if the field team are not using, you know, online platform and just reverting back to face to face, I think we're missing out on a huge number of opportunities. So I think it's a it should totally be a combination. The way I have been viewing the role of when we're, I mean, we're talking about the nurture part of that funnel, right? When you look at your front line, because if you're any higher than that, this is really a digital like breadth reach. But when you start mm -hmm. to go deep and you want to really engage those customers, first of all, the face-to-face -face and the relationship is critical. Um, oh, but you said something that I wanted to pick up on because there's a lot. It's around the content and using it. Um, front, it is essentially like, oh, darn it, I'm missing it now. I lost myself because it's around how we capture their needs and then we can use it directly from the commercial perspective mm -hmm. to uh, continue engaging them. Oh, here's what it was. The role of digital in that frontline piece. Okay, so your frontline has this face-to-face. -face. Digital should still be there to nurture the interaction between face-to-face -face visits. So the customer has told you, or you've had this great conversation, or they've had a question about something, you can then give them a resource and they have their own experiences in your portals or whatever inter like virtual ecosystem you created for them. Mm -hmm. They can go check out e-learnings. They can go visit a webinar that was archived, whatever it is. They can continue educating themselves on their time. And then when the rep comes back to follow up, it's the doctor saying, oh, by the way, I watched that webinar. I had a question about X, Y, and Z. And it's super, and also a rep visit, maybe these are like six minutes long. It's not a 30 minute, let's go through the whole detail. This is like a quick, like, let's just have a, a nice touch point. And that's how, so basically you can give them, them being the customer, the HCP, the space to explore really rich information on their time in their mm -hmm. own 
like desired format. Yes. Yeah. So, I think we've got a few comments here from yeah, Paul and Alice. I just wanted to pick up on it. I think Paul makes a really interesting point. He says, do we place too much emphasis on channel and not enough on the content? I'm going to share your story. I was presenting at Next Pharma in Dubrovnik a couple of months ago. And I believe there's like um, this triangle. There's three points on the triangle. The first one is every content we share with ACPs needs to be relevant. Um, the, the second point is it needs to be delivered at the time they need it most. And the third one is we need to be flexible to communicate with them through the channel of their choice, not being kind of like channel specific saying, I'm only doing face-to-face. -face. We need to leave it to them because ACPs are omnichannel. They use all different channels. We just need to be more flexible. So at the conference, I asked everybody to stand up. And I said, those of you who think your content, genuinely your content is relevant, please stay standing. If not, please sit down. Half the audience sat down. Then I said to those of them who were standing, I said, if you genuinely believe you delivered that relevant content at the time the HCP needed most, remain standing. Otherwise, sit down. Everybody sat down. There was no one was standing. So I couldn't even talk about the channel. So we fixated about the channel, but most of the content we're generating is not relevant. Viva Pulse report says 77% of content is not being used by field teams. I think part of it is because the content is not relevant. The other part is because the field team are not confident about using all the channels. They're reverting back to face-to-face -to -face is yes. what they're comfortable with. Is yes. that your view as well? I'm seeing a lot of that. I see a lot of that. I think there's, but I also think we overcomplexify the whole thing because we want to say we're trendy and digital. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessary. At the end of the day, it's humans who are interested in information and relationships when we're again, bottom of that funnel. So the, the question, do we put, and I see Paul, you put it in here. There's a, a, a I'm going to kind of consolidate some of the questions that are coming in. First of all, um, the, the, KPIs around content and the market research and then channel selection versus listening to your customers. Um, I, I don't, I, I think we do put a lot of emphasis on channels when it should be on content relevance timing. I think we hear from our customers directly what they want. I think also, and this is the fun part about data, qualitative and quantitative, neither of them should stand alone. So our customers tell us often what they want they also have a whole lot of things about like the unsaid um, expectations and that shows up in what they do and what they do is on their, is in their virtual ecosystem. And we can see that with data. So when we overlay the two, and this is back to the comment around or the, the topic around frontline and commercial partnership, now bring in your commercial excellence partners. If you have that within a team, um, because the three of them should be coming together to look at the data the voice of the customer, the type of content, and then say, are we aligned? Are we delivering what they're asking for? And what are they asking for versus what are they going to, what are they seeking out or clicking into? And once they've clicked into it, where do they go next? Mm -hmm. So you can actually really map out how a customer is receiving your information, absorbing it and taking it into their next interactions or basically what's valuable is ultimately mm -hmm you want to find with that. Yeah. I think one thing I want to add, because when you were talking about omni-channel, you were seeing omni-channel as a kind of like additional educational content in between the face-to-face -face calls. Well, I'm sitting in US, I make phone calls to senior people in UK and I, you know, communicate propositions with them. All of my interactions are remote. 
And I'll find remote is not just for education, it's actually for having sales consultation. Mm -hmm. And again, Viva Pulse report says that the duration of the video call with the customers is often longer than face-to-face. 80% data is shared through video calling versus 40% on a really good quality face-to-face. So I think in a video call, you're probably more likely to share content. So I think I don't see it as a plug the gap between the face-to-face. I see it as a fundamental to drive the conversation. And going back to analytics, I find for us to be effective, like we use the 80-20 rules. We look for that 20% of the ACPs who can benefit from what we have to offer. So we do a lot of research. I spent maybe three hours yesterday to find out who are the people who would be interested in the proposition I'm gonna share. And I made one phone call today, immediately spoke to the right person. She said, I'm busy, but can we book a team meeting for 30 minutes next week? And she said, I'm gonna introduce you to other people. So spending time to really analyzing their need And Paul, ACPs don't always know what they need, particularly if you're launching a new brand, they've never heard about it or they're not aware of it. So they don't know, but we have to make an educated guess based on the pressures that is on them to reach with them with a proposition that are gonna solve one of their burning points. And I think that's when you get them totally engaged. Um, Yeah. So um, So I see a question in the chat that I would love to pick up from Amish. So thank you for this. It's around the senior, okay, basically the senior leadership role in digital transformation. And I like that you've added on a day-to-day basis. So now I guess we should ask how senior this leader is. Um, Well, they're not often seen on a day-to-day basis. No, 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 they are, but a senior leader may not be involved in the day-to-day of Mm -hmm. digital transformation. So um, it's basic, like, we can look at it in two different ways, but I think the biggest, in my experience, this has really been my experience, um, advocacy and direct feedback and clear expectations. So senior, senior leadership. Oh, let's say, I guess we can define the difference between senior and executive leadership. Executive leadership, I want to be, I want to know what the expectations are um, and I want their advocacy. Um, but that's a conversation before the digital transformation even begins because once I've begun that transformation, I I should know, like I have the green light from executives, I'm moving forward and now I'm going to be engaging all of the partners that are going to be a a part of activating this plan. Um, Senior leadership should be there to be a sparring partner and remove roadblocks. Um, And they also have a larger, um, uh, let's say a larger window to the different politics at play or the different conversations. And so I need that to come in to influence how that digital transformation in whatever facet I'm operating uh, would get pulled through. I hope that answers your question. Thank you for that, Audrey. I'm just seeing a question earlier on from Alex. It'd be really good if you could answer that. Uh, Alex is asking is, how do you measure the value that Omnichannel delivers to HCPs and what KPIs do you use to measure that? So I love the KPI question. I think you've probably heard me answer it before, Manaz, because I'll, and I'll say the same thing. Um, it, let, I want to take a step back before we answer the KPIs question. Objective, like what is the strategic objective? Everything, like there's no magic KPI that is going to solve everything. 
-hmm. it always has to tie back to what did you want to accomplish in the first place? From there, the data will tell a story. And it's not one piece. It's not one KPI. It is how are these KPIs interlinked? So how often are we engaging a certain number of customers with which key messages, with which type of content? And what'll be interesting is when you see that some key messages perform really well on one channel and really poorly on another channel. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, so how did that? And then you dig, the digging is fun because then it's, why did that happen? Is it just a poor channel? That channel performed well in other environments. Is it not the right channel or was it the format? Like there's a lot of things to dig into on that, but it's identifying which metrics you stitch together to complement uh, or, or to basically resolve or, 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 or yeah, reflect, to reflect mm -hmm. your strategic objectives. Um, and measuring the value of omni-channel toward HCPs, um, I think this is going to be based on engagement. And you have anyway the voice of the front line, which is nice. But back to what I was saying earlier around that overlay between qualitative and quantitative listen to the frontline and we do this i've done this in, in, in other places in my consulting space as well um every time we would go to refresh our campaigns we would do a cross-functional survey and the cross-functional survey included voice of sales which mm -hmm. really included voice of customer and you, you want to overlay that with the data based on the experience you see in how often a customer is visited or um, just their, their own kind of digital journey. How are they behaving within the HCP portal? How are they interacting with your digital content? Are they interacting with your digital content and these types of things? Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that, yes. Yeah, thank you. You said less is more. So if you were going to give one tip to other marketeers or leaders in a similar position to you, what would be your tip to bring um, the field teams and marketeers closer so together we can be more relevant to HCPs in our interactions? You didn't prep me for that question. No, so. no, no. <laughs> my mind. Honestly, my answer is, is it's what I've seen work, but I would love to... I would actually love to have a conversation around other ways of doing this. Um, I, I think it's partnership. Mm -hmm. Like it is actually that the commercial team and sales management have a lot of clarity between the two of them and that they're aligning regularly and that sales management is aligning with their sales team regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, it, that should all be happening, but the information flows and perhaps it's then it, would, it, would it be helpful then for the commercial side to be structured around what they're doing and giving really clear, like, like free text items for sales management to say, oh, cool, thank you for triggering that mm -hmm. question. I'll go back and I'll yeah. talk to the team about that. Um, and vice versa, the sales team saying we, like they are begging for information on X, Y, Z, when is commercial or when is medical going to have something to share with us? Mm -hmm. And that, like, I, I think that that partnership needs to be ever present, but certain, if it's not automatically happen, not automatically, if it's not organically happening, there should be very distinct moments where it does come up as part of the routine in mapping a strategy and developing can campaigns. 
Yeah, that actually reminded me of um, a correct example that we experienced with one of our clients is when we um, help them to uh, increase the capability of their field team to adapt remote channels and feel confident and understand how they can use it. One of the things we found they said was shifted was the field team were uh, creating demand for digital content in marketing team. Mm -hmm. So the request for content was coming from the field team and they were, because they were requesting it, they were much more engaged to use it. Yep. And yep. the combination of that created that partnership. So in yep. reality, the partnership works, but enabling people to understand what's the value of Omnichannel, why should we use it and how you yep. can use it, I think would uh, speed that up. Amish has another question. I don't know whether you have time to touch it. He says, um, what situation in the last 12 months has caused you to have the biggest learning and why? Hmm. Hmm. I think for me in the last 12 months, it is the power of partnerships um, and reaching not just outside of your own space, but way outside of your own space. Mm -hmm. um, there, it was one of the most exciting things for me when I joined Novo, the amount of resources that are available in a large company. And except you don't know it right away. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a whole lot of like ex just exploring. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and then finding out how to adapt those resources to the needs of the teams that you partner with. Um, and that's been like, I've had a lot of fun doing that over the last year and a half. So brilliant. Um, Paul says, if you had a magic wand, what are one thing you would have, would you like to change in pharma and in pharma marketing? Okay, Paul, put me on the spot. <laughs> so um, Paul had a really cool idea a while ago and I keep coming back to it. It's when we explore things, but you take away the one part that everyone complains about and then tell them to explore it again. Mm -hmm. um, and the kinds of creativity that comes out of that. Um, so I, I like this idea, but let's say magic wand to change something in pharma. Um, I, th I think I would really love to make how data is analyzed easier. Mm -hmm. Like there are certain brains that just get the story automatically but a lot of times those brains aren't the ones that are the one like needing to activate the results of that data. So your frontline team, like they're relationship people. So you tell them, oh, well, go check the data and see what the customers have been doing. They're like, I just talked to the customer. Like he mm -hmm. told me what he wants. I'm not like, okay. So it would be really cool if we could just magic wand the interpretation and application of data. I think that would be... Cool. I mean, it's a fun place to play and I I like exploring it. I wish it was like super simple. Yeah, I have an idea. Um, if I had a magic wand, I wanted to change something about marketing. I would, you know, use my wand to make marketeers to stop being brand focused and be customer focused. Um, because by being customer focused, yeah. you see the brand from a completely different perspective. And if I challenge any marketeer, to sit down and write a SWOT analysis, a customer-centric SWOT analysis, they're going to struggle. And when they come to write it, they realize they don't know enough about their customers to be able to see uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats from the customer perspective. 
So that what that's what I would do with the magic wand. Yeah. And I think that would dynamically shift the way we think and act and connect with HCPs. Yeah. Probably connect on their agenda more. So it's been absolutely super to have you here. I've got one weird question I'm going to ask you just to make it a little bit of fun. When I was looking on your LinkedIn profile, I noticed you are a self-professed burrito aficionado. I just experienced burrata for the first time in Dubrovnik um, and uh, it was amazing pizza. and It was so good. I had to go back and have another one before I left. So tell us about your passion and where can we find the best burrata? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I do love, I like, I would take burrata over ice cream, which is saying a lot. Wow. I love ice cream. <laughs> So also for this audience, let's define what burrata is. Burrata is basically super milky mozzarella. It's like you cut the mozzarella open and just like this pure, like milky goodness that pours out. Um, and it's, it's so amazing. Okay. With like salt and like a nice balsamic vinegar. It's incredible. So um, best burrata for me, um, most foods are um, tied more to like a memory so it's not, it, it's the relationships that, or the conversation that you're having over it, right? Or, or with it. And it's just a part of the experience. Um, I think the best burrata I've ever had, I have no clue where it was from, um, but it was the first burrata I had after giving birth to my first kid. Because you're not supposed to eat burrata when you're pregnant. So it was like, it was a, I waited nine months and then I had that burrata and a glass of wine and it was just a real delight. Um, but there is, oh, a, a coworker of mine, this was also really sweet. A coworker of mine is from Naples. And she goes, oh, well, Audrey, you know, the best burrata is actually from Puglia. It's where it's like, it's made from. It's like the heel of the boot of Italy. I'm like, oh, I didn't know, but okay, now I do. Um, and she had been, she had been with our team for one week. Um, and she was anyway going home. She brought me back some burrata from from Naples, from Napoli. So the neighbor to Puglia. But that was also, it was one of those like very memorable, like she brought it on the airplane and, and came with it. So um, yeah, burrata shared with good company is the best burrata. Perfect. I'm going to Italy in September. So I'll make sure I check it out over there and Ooh. see how that compares with the Croatian one. But Audrey, thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you here. Sure. And I'm sure our audience really enjoyed hearing your perspective. Um, I think I can carry on talking to you for another hour. <laughs> and I wanted to say a huge thank you for those of you who joined us today and shared your comments and uh, put questions in the chat. Keep going and please um, give your feedback about this session. And you know, if you have any comments or ideas um, for future sessions, please share that with me. Uh, I just wanted to wrap it up by saying that I feel, again, I said I'm really passionate about enabling field teams to get their arms around omnichannel digital um, tools and content. And as you know, we developed Kimia Reset is a self-directed learning platform that focuses on the human side of digital transformation. And we've helped sales team to really build their confidence. In fact, I was talking to somebody whose team finished taking it on Italy um, recently and he was saying what he's noticing is his team confidence has grown and he feels they are on the road of digital transformation. Uh, we won several awards for disruptive innovation and remote uh, work tech solutions in the UK and Europe and uh, I'm excited to tell you that we've developed a new exciting course called Kimia Readapt and is about encapsulating seven habits 
that field teams, um, effective omnichannel field teams embrace that gives companies competitive advantage. So I'm excited to uh, launch that. And also, as you know, I'm writing a book on digital transformation in pharma. It's called The Omni Advantage. And in the book, I'm sharing our experience of how you can accelerate your field team's behaviors to adopt technology and digital contents. So if you're finding your teams are not adopting tech or digital contents and you want to improve this and we want to increase their confidence, um, get in touch. We would love to talk to you about it. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you, our audience. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you, Marnas. Thank you.